Don't forget my theory. My theory is that I, I'm curious if Andrew Barry said what he said about not necessarily restructuring Deshaun Watson's contract this year because the Browns internally are sort of coming to, they're having a coming to Jesus moment of their own where they're realizing, man, this Deshaun deal actually might not work out as we go into year three, which is going to be a massive one for Deshaun. He's coming off the shoulder injury. We don't know how that's going to impact his play, his throwing, any of that. So, I don't know. I'm just curious if by any stretch of the imagination, this is somewhat a a peek behind the curtain as to what the Browns are thinking and where their heads are at with this current Deshaun Watson situation. Because we all know it's a big year for them, and they know it too. But if they're starting to have any doubts, you just wonder if that's part of the reason why Andrew Barry would let on something like that because they know they got to pay this bill eventually, and they'd rather pay some of it now if there's no true extension looming for Deshaun. Just a thought. We'll keep talking about it here in the next few minutes. Uh, but I do want to go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline because the Browns this week officially announced the hiring of their new offensive line coach, Andy Dickerson. And joining us to learn a little bit more about the new O-line coach is Greg Bell from the News Tribune uh, out in Washington. He does a phenomenal job covering the Seahawks. We've had him on before. He always gives us some great insight and I wanted to get his pick his brain a little bit about Andy Dickerson. Greg, appreciate your time, my man. Thank you so much for coming on. Anytime for Northeast Ohio. How are you? I know you, you always remind me that your wife's from this area. So I'm 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 always happy as right. soon as I have a, any sort of connection to the Seahawks, any sort of connection to hey, something <laughs> with the Browns and Seahawks is brewing here. I'm always like, Greg's the guy I gotta go to. So uh I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for yeah, it. Yeah, very Catholic very Catholic Panthers out in the ring. I there got you married go. in Overland, Churchill, Chapel in Overland. Yeah, I love the place. Still got love family it. there. I love it. Well, let me ask you this. Um it seems like because listen, we we're, we had Bill Callahan here in Cleveland the last couple of years, and Bill Callahan is respected. Like like when you think of O line coaches, he's somebody who fans across the league would maybe recognize, and and that's an offensive line coach. Like there's not a lot of offensive line coaches that people know the names of, and he's one of them because he's a legend. But he goes to join his his son in Tennessee. That opens the door for a new hire, and. I don't think Browns fans are as familiar, obviously, now with Andy Dickerson. So, but but I get the sense that he is respected around the league because he had some other interviews on top of interviewing for the Browns OC job and the Bengals OC job. So, just what can you tell us about Andy Dickerson? Well, first of all, I hear you on Bill Callahan. I actually covered Bill Callahan's first head coaching job when I covered the Raiders in the early 2000s. Wow, the Super Bowl in San Diego. So you're right; he is hugely respected as offensive line coach. What you're going to get in Andy Dickerson is a lot of the Sean McVay offense, outside zone read. They ran a lot of outside zone, the Seahawks did under Dickerson the last couple of years, 60-plus percent of the time. And the other bulk of the time, it was inside zone read. Not a lot of man-on-man blocking or power, uh, which is what a lot of offenses have gone to now, right? Area blocking. Instead of driving your man, it's just shading and getting into an area and letting the back cut off of you. That's what Dickerson taught out here. Uh, he was up for some offensive coordinator jobs. And uh, he learned McVay's system and came with Shane Waldron, who had been the pass game coordinator and tight ends coach of the Rams under McVay. When Waldron came to be the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks three years ago, that's when Andy Dickerson came to be the new line coach. So it is a very much a Sean McVay type system. Everyone thinks McVay 
and offense is wide open and and spread the ball around and throw it to Cooper Cup and Nakua. Sean McVay and, by extension, Andy Dickerson really are rooted in the run, in the zone blocking scheme for run, to run their play action and screen games off of in their long horizontal drag routes. So I would expect the Browns to do a lot of that type of outside-inside zone read uh, with Dickerson, much more than just maul the guy in front of him. I think that's music to a lot of Browns fans' ears. I think that's what they've kind of been waiting for Stefanski's offense to embrace more of. So that's it, and it seems like kind of a change of philosophy a little bit too from what they were doing. Um, I guess is there anything you'd highlight as strengths that you've seen over the last couple of years with Andy Dickerson's offensive lines and the run game, and then maybe some weaknesses that that you noticed as well out there with Seattle? Well, I can tell you the players love him, and a strength is that he is a mm. great communicator. He's down on their level. He's a very easygoing type of but yet demanding coach. The offensive linemen, veteran and rookies alike, talked about what a great teacher and communicator Andy Dickerson is. Uh, So you'll get that. The strength they had was that players respond and really like him, and he also likes and develops versatile and athletic offensive linemen. The weakness that he and the offensive line had here in Seattle was the team that they have to beat to get out of the NFC West and get to where they want to go, of course, is San Francisco, which is much more physical and just mauled them along Seattle's offensive line. San Francisco's defensive front, and even to some extent the Los Angeles Rams' defensive front, just out-physicaled Andy Dickerson's offensive lines. Not to mention the Seahawks' lines the last few years have been beset by injuries. They've had a revolving door at center, a problem they haven't fixed since they traded Max Unger to the Saints for Jimmy Graham in 2014-15. They've had nine centers in nine years, so there was a continuity problem in the interior of their line. Dickerson and the Seahawks drafted bookend offensive tackles that they think are going to be starters for the next three, four years still here in Seattle. But one of them on the right side, Abe Lucas, has been beset by chronic knee injuries. So Dickerson didn't have his starting right tackle that he drafted last year to have. His left tackle, Charles Cross, was the seventh overall pick in the draft last year, so two years ago. So Dickerson had a big influence on their draft and personnel plans. Uh, he was an, a voice that went just beyond being a position coach here, which is why I think you saw some of the offensive coordinator positions that people were interested in talking to him about. If I had to say there was one downgrade, and it, it does go part and parcel with the system he coaches. As I mentioned, it's not drive-blocking put your guy's face in the mud. It's more of a zone, finesse, shade type of blocking and a physical defensive front oftentimes dominated that system. Talk with Greg Bell of the News Tribune out in Tacoma, Washington. You can follow him on X at G Bell Seattle. Um, he joins us on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. I know in his first year out there, and you kind of alluded to his history a little bit, just changing roles, he was actually the run game coordinator. So what I right. guess... Was the offense like then? I know Russell Wilson was still there that year when he was kind of overseeing that phase of the offense versus then when he kind of just became the O-line coach. What led to that change? Well, they had Mike Solari. And they actually had a parade. They've had a parade of offensive line coaches. Very few that have stuck for years over year here in Seattle. Uh, and when they had changes, that's when they basically promoted Dickerson. Uh, when the previous offensive mm. lines and regimes left. And, and the reasons that they changed to Dickerson was really pass protection. And the end of Russell Wilson's tenure, the start of Geno Smith's tenure, really throughout the last two years, 
has been pass protection problems. And they haven't consistently done it. Their numbers and pressure rates often look better than they actually are in the crux of games. The Seahawks have been very bad in consistently running the ball. I mentioned some of the offensive line issues, but that has really set back the entire offense. And what Pete Carroll wanted to do, what Shane Waldron wanted to do, probably a lot of what Andy Dickerson wanted to do in the offensive line started with run blocking in the run game that they never consistently got here for the last two years. So the numbers didn't suggest overwhelming success here for Dickerson or the offensive line in Seattle. I mentioned the injuries and the issues, but uh, run blocking became a concern. And, and some of the impetus for the change in Seattle of firing Pete Carroll and having a brand new coaching staff with no experience is they wanted a new way. And some of that new way is going to be a new offensive line and a new way of teaching and a new way of blocking. It'll probably still be zone blocking, but pass protection did become an issue. I would trace some of that to what I mentioned earlier. They didn't have a run game to go play action and screen off of like the Rams offenses did when where Dickerson was born and raised in, in the NFL. That is something that Cleveland in the previous years has had a more consistent running game to base a play action pass on than Seattle, for instance. So a lot of times the pass protection had been handcuffed by defenses that didn't have to honor the run in Seattle. But I would expect we'll have to honor the run a lot more with Dickerson coaching in Cleveland. You mentioned Geno Smith. Is he back next year, you think, as the starting quarterback for the Seahawks? I do. I think he's a solution, not a problem out here. Yeah, he's got the 12th highest cap space, and yeah, they just guarantee him $12.7 million, but that's how much it costs for a veteran starting quarterback who's won you know, 18 games and thrown for 30 and 20 touchdowns against just 20 total interceptions the last two years. He played in the Pro Bowl this year was a, as an alternate substitute, but he's been in the pick for the Pro Bowl the last two years. Uh, he set a franchise record for passing yards, led the league in completion percentage two seasons ago. He's a solution here. The issue in Seattle is they don't have a quarterback of the future. Smith's going to be 34 next season. His contract ends after the 2025 season. They have only drafted two quarterbacks in 14 years under John Schneider here, Russell Wilson, one of them, and then a seventh-round pick a few years ago that never went anywhere, Alex Magoo. And that's it. And so it's time to draft the future. I Geno Smith's the present for this year, and it costs because that's the price of the quarterback play in the NFL. I don't need to tell Cleveland Browns fans how much quarterbacks <laughs> cost. But they'll take the 12th highest salary cap for the production they've gotten from Smith. They just need one quarterback for the, the future. I think they have to draft one. And they need a running game to help you know, Smith be a more effective thrower. How, what was the reaction like, I guess, from both your media brethren but also just Seattle fans to the uh, the Ryan Grubb hire because I'll be honest, like not so much on the Seahawks end of things, but the way that he it came out this week that the way he kind of left Bama was he, he it was very shady. He, he waited until after the thirty days to transfer clothes at Alabama, and then he committed to the Seattle job. What did you guys make of all that out there? Well, first of all, it's the most celebrated offensive coordinator hire probably in Seahawks history because of the success that he had with Michael Penix yeah. at the University of Washington here the last couple of years. So to, to everyone here, it's a coup. To Alabama, look, he's very close friends and, and uh, owes his career to Kalen DeBoer. And when he went, when DeBoer went to Alabama, Grubb wanted to be DeBoer's successor at the University of Washington. The UW went the other way and went to Jedfish from uh, Arizona, and only then did Grubb fully start recruiting for Alabama. In the middle of the recruiting, the way college is now, 
you have to recruit your own guys as well as high school and college transfer portal guys. So you're, especially in January when this, right before the signing period, crucial, crucial recruiting period, I could understand, I don't know firsthand if this happened, but I can suppose that DeBoer asked Rub to stay on and recruit for him through signing day because of how vital that, those two weeks were while the Seahawks were deciding on the head coach and the staff. Sure, he Grubb could have told DeBoer, I'm going to the NFL if they offer it to me. But the Seahawks hadn't offered it yet. Mm. So what was DeBoer, what was what was Grubb to do? Was he just to stay home and slip slurpees <laughs> at 7-Eleven for two weeks? No, he's going to go be what he was assumed to be until further notice, and the further notice being the Seahawks offering him a job. So that that's what happened. The, the Seahawks didn't decide on an offensive coordinator until around and after the signing day for college football. So Grubb stayed on long enough so that they could have their signing day, and then he left two days after it. It, it is shady, but <laughs> that's not the shadiest thing in college football right now. Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a lot going on, and that's for sure. Uh, Greg Bell, again, joining us on the hotline. Last thing for you, Greg, before I let you go, it's com- coming back to the Browns side of things, do you think from a, a different city and sports town's perspective, is Kevin Stefanski a top-ten coach in the NFL? Mm, top 10. I'd say he's top half. Uh, I, I like his schemes. When I see the Browns play, uh, I like that they run first and play off the run. Uh, I like the physicality that they have when they need it. Um, I don't, I'm not well-versed enough to know the details of how he is as a, uh, in relations to players and how they respond to him. Um, he's probably in the top dozen, I'd say. I mean, you make the playoffs and, and, and you do – double-digit win season. I know it flamed out in Houston for him, but uh, yeah, you, you, you're at least in the top dozen, and I think he's got an offensive scheme that can, is built to last. Uh, some do, some don't, but I'm a true believer. Maybe I'm just because I'm 54 years old. I'm a believer you still have to run the ball in today's NFL. I think Kansas City and San Francisco proved that. Uh, even Buffalo, when they were at their best this year, is when they were running the ball with Josh Allen throwing off of it. So I think Stefanski has the right recipe and the right personnel to do it in Cleveland. He's Greg Bell. Again, his wife is from Northeast Ohio. He's got, he got married here, so he's got some ties to the area. We always like bringing him on when we get a chance to. He covers the Seahawks for the News Tribune out in Tacoma, Washington. Greg, you know I always appreciate your time, my friend. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll link up eventually down the line again, but I, I was glad we got a chance to connect on this, uh, this subject matter. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. I thank you. Thanks. Take care, Ohio. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Good stuff from Greg Bell on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Island. Let's take a break and react to his commentary on uh, Andy Dickerson. Had some interesting things to say just about the way he, he does things. And then I'm going to go back to my theory for you guys. Also coming up, nobody, or actually, would you do this hypothetical trade that was thrown out on uh, ESPN today? Wild, wild stuff. We're in fantasy land already, and we're only a couple weeks, really a, a week, into the offseason. All that and more coming your way this next hour here on 92 Through the Fan.